welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. Mm-hmm. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. We're almost there. It is almost over. That's right, Browns fans. Uh, so this week we are recording on a Monday, right after a disappointing Browns loss, 15-31 to 31 to the Ravens. Uh, we split with them on the year. So ask me at the beginning of the season if I would have been pleased with that. I would have said, yeah, any year. I'd be fine with that. Um, How messed up is it that we beat them in Baltimore and then got trounced by them in Cleveland? So it is messed up, but like my frustration is not that we lost to the Ravens in in like this specific moment. It's it's a lot of the specifics of how it happened during the game and just mismanagement, and then also the other things that happened this week that would have enabled us to get to the playoffs. And we were not in a position to take advantage of it because we kind of screwed the pooch in the weeks prior. So there's that. And also during the game, I didn't watch a Cleveland Browns team that looked like, aside from a hand, a couple players probably that looked like they were determined to win this game. Like I just keep seeing a team that doesn't give a crap and doesn't seem well-prepared, and that's what's driving me nuts. It's driving me crazy. Like, it's within reach. We understand that if we win this game, our playoff hopes are actually technically still alive, and the team that all of us Browns fans collectively are just, like, yearning to see use their potential and actually, like, maximize the talent that they have, they're just not there. And showing up for four whole quarters. I mean, it seemed like through most of the first half, barring the last two minutes of the first half, we did play inspired football. But as soon as our back gets put up against the wall and they start driving, we start making mistakes. It's like, oh, well, we just fold it. But we fold it. But to me, that's coaching because, like, letting a team go into, into a two minute drill is dangerous. Because you're doing you're doing no huddle, you don't have time to change personnel defensively or make individual calls defensively. Like you're kind of blindly just calling a safe defense, right? And so it it is like coaching malpractice. And what made it all the worse is Tony Romo called it out ahead of time, where he was like, "All right, Browns have the ball in this situation. You want to get it past the two minute warning. Ravens have no timeouts." You control the clock here, and you, you don't let the Ravens get the ball before the half. He was right. And Three we, straight incompletions. We ended, up, we ended up giving the Ravens the ball twice, and they scored two touchdowns. We had held them to nothing throughout the entire first half, and we gave up two touchdowns in that two-minute drill. The first one took, I think, two plays. And it, it's just bad coaching. It's... I, I feel like we're trying to, to be aggressive offensively, trying to kind of take the, take the lead offensively and be like, no, our offense is, is better and we're going to put our best foot forward. But in that situation, you, you have to be situationally aware of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think this game plan was the exact same as the first week where we heard all the players say over and over and over again, get the lead, make Lamar throw the ball. And I think that's what we were trying to do. And that's in those situations, that's what Freddie was singularly focused on. And we saw and it we at got the end of the game. on the right foot, too. We, even though we didn't score in our first draft, we took the ball when we, won the, when we won the coin toss. So that clearly was the outlook. We weren't able to score, but we did jump ahead, and we were stopping them early on. We stopped them early on, and late in the game when they weren't throwing the ball, when they were only running the ball, we saw how we got dominated. Our the, run defense. The, the oh. game plan, the meta game plan, yes. was, was there and worked largely. Steve Wilkes' defense, we, we held them largely until we got into that two-minute where we had wide open side ends running down the middle. We had whatever, but that's going to happen in a two-minute drill. Like you're, I blame the offense. I blame the offensive coaching staff for the Kareem Hunt halfback pass call that was a 
freaking disaster in third and one. It's a miracle it wasn't a fumble. It's a miracle we didn't fumble <laughs> Absolutely. It. I've never seen anything like it. I blame the offensive staff in the, the next possession when we threw the ball for three straight possessions and one defender on the Ravens had a pass defense on each of those three plays. It was the same guy who almost picked it and then batted it down twice at the line of scrimmage. All it would have taken was one, one completion, one run on that sequence in order to get past the two minute warning at least. To burn the clock. Yeah. So that the Ravens didn't have time to score two touchdowns. We go into the half 14 6. Game's almost over at that point. We go and they get the ball in the second half. We go into the half 7 6, even. It's, it's still a much, much better situation. You just have to be aware of where you are in the game. And that's what Freddie doesn't seem like he's able to do. He is not aware of so many things as a head coach. I, I hear people talk all the time about it's the little things that the Browns just aren't doing is why we can't get over the hump. We have the most talented team one of, that we've had in the past 10 years. I think that's pretty yeah. obvious. And we're still not a playoff team. We're going to end up with a worse record than we did last year. And within the next week, probably, we're going to make a decision whether we're going to keep Freddie for another year or we're going to fire him. It, this game, and yeah, I want to talk about that later um, once we're done talking about the game. This game ugh, was just so frustrating because it felt like another thing, both definitely with the defense, it seemed like we came in with an awesome game plan. I don't think the Ravens were prepared for us to go with three, a three-linebacker set like we did. We haven't been playing that all year. And we came out the gates running Schobert, um, Taki Taki and Wilson out there. We've got three athletic linebackers. We like do. When we roll those, and they played well, and that's like a good matchup against this Ravens defense. Like you want to be able to contain Lamar, you want to be able to contain the running game, and I think it was the right approach. Like we've got guys that can match up against their tight ends whenever they send those tight ends out. Like it was a decent look, and we were able to stop them, but the offense just wasn't able to generate the points that we needed to get over the hump during that window. <clears throat> and then once Greg Roman and the Ravens offense realized what we were doing, they started doing a lot more like passes out to the flat. We were, we were doing, we had the three linebackers, but we were also bringing a ton of pressure on the Marjack. And they started to respond a little bit better to that pressure and realized that it was coming. And the Browns didn't switch up anything that we were doing. And at the end of the day, they made adjustments and we weren't able to counter. And I feel like we've seen that down the stretch. And my take initially is that we just don't have the horses to be able to do much of anything different. Like we can game plan and put ourselves in a decent position, but we don't have enough talent and depth across the entire roster to be able to execute a variety of different schemes no. and, and options. From, on a, from a defensive standpoint, for sure, and not at this point in the season. I mean, losing losing your top two defensive ends for the last. I mean, Vernon came back for that one week where he but was largely kind of. ineffective. So we we're going the last six weeks down the stretch without your top two defensive ends. Um, safety's been decimated, largely. It's just tough. Starting with the Jabril Pepper strip. <clears throat> it's yeah. No, I mean, that's absolutely. What, like, that's we, where it starts. It's been a a huge absence this entire season no for sure and there's just been so many times this season where um the the defensive depth has reared its ugly head we don't have depth at linebacker now that now that Kirksey's hurt we're, we're starting mac wilson who while he has moments where he he makes great plays in coverage there are times where he's a, a clear liability and we're we're just not there yet and on offense, it feels like every team knows exactly what we're going to do. We, we're, when we win on plays, it feels like it's an individual winning on the route more than scheme. We, we don't have receivers running open. We, I mean, that Kareem Hunt play on third and one with like right before the two-minute warning is an example. If we handed that off to Nick Chubb, it's wide open. Teams are teams are scheming against 
what what we're gonna do, even when we're trying to like mix it up and call it trick play. It's like it and it's it's due to personnel, it's due to what we do when we line up with, with certain people out there. And I think yeah. what we're suffering from is what worked for Freddie last year doesn't work this year and he doesn't have the the breadth or the depth of experience to to be able to mix it up. There you go. I agree completely. This is a quote from Freddie Kitchens um, after a Baltimore game. This Baltimore. After a Baltimore game. We don't draw plays to beat the other team. We play football. That's what we want to be. I can't get more clear than that. I think you know that about me. We want to be a football team. We don't want to be the designer of plays. Basically, like that was from after we beat the Ravens the first time. He said that, but I still think that that's true about him. He wants to be this, like, we just do what we do. This, like, universal, like... It it doesn't matter what you do. We're doing what the Cleveland Browns do, and you just... I don't think you can win in the NFL that way with that mindset of saying, we're going to do what we do really well, and we're not going to switch it up no matter what. That's, like, the complete opposite of what Bill Belichick does. Bill Belichick creates a custom game plan for every single team that he plays, and he creates a team and builds a personnel, a set of personnel that can adapt in such a way that they can exploit the weaknesses of their opponent. Like, it's the complete opposite of the most successful franchise over the last 15 years. I think that's a really antiquated way of thinking. Absolutely. Too. The, we're just going to outwork you, out physical you, out whatever. That's like that's like good like late '80s, early '90s yeah, football. It just doesn't right. work anymore. All right, Matthew, so I brought we're too this, far gone from that. I brought this up on the podcast last week with when it was just me and Mark. Yeah, I wasn't here. And you also are such a bum that you didn't even listen to our episode last week. It's gonna make for good content right now because I am <laughs> unencumbered. Well, well done, Matthew. Yeah, yeah. thank you for well opening the door. I for really me to wanted bring to listen again. I really wanted to listen. Yeah, I'm y'all, sure you but did. I, Chomping I, I at the bit. this would come up. Um, which coach is better, Freddie Kitchens or Hugh Jackson? I never thought it would even be like a consideration, but it seems like Freddie Kitchens, in many ways is below the bar that Hugh Jackson set as Cleveland Browns coach. And my point that I made last week oh, was this is so hard. Was that recency bias. Hugh Jackson Heavy. had so many in-game gaffes that were very frustrating. We're seeing a lot of the similar things with Freddie Kitchens right now. But Hugh Jackson had a far less talented team and I felt like they were trying to play for the guy. Like I felt like they were prepared on his probably poor set of preparation, but like he had everybody on the same page. And I don't think I even see that from Freddie Kitchens. So I, in year one, I actually, I don't know how this makes sense, but I feel like, hmm. I feel like Freddie Kitchens would have won more games than Hugh Jackson did over his tenure. Okay. You put, Freddie in place of Hugh. I feel like Freddie is more successful. Why? I think he keeps it simpler. And I think that there is like a, a base. We've, I think we've seen this with like the Dolphins, for example. The Dolphins team is the Dolphins devoid of talent. The Dolphins have won three games. Yeah. Four. Four. Four now. The Dolphins team is devoid of talent, but like... There's so many moments in an NFL season where there's parody and like you have to win at the margin. Yes. And I think we got incredibly unlucky with Hugh Jackson, but I also think we had players who were put in positions that were way too, to Sean Kaiser, way too complex for, yeah. for what they should have been. Um, we did get that so That doesn't unlucky. mean that I think Freddie Kitchens is a better coach. I don't know. It, it, it but, might have been a situation where if they swapped roles, like they would have both been more successful. I, I don't disagree with you. I feel like Hugh Jackson managed the locker room so much better than Freddie Kitchens is right now. Like, I think Freddie Kitchens is trying to take the adult approach. Like, he, if you would ask him, he'd be like, these guys are professionals. Like, I don't need to stay on them. Like, 
it's not my job to make sure that they are all doing what they're supposed to be doing. I've made it clear. But he's not taking the extra steps to make sure that everyone is like singing from the same hymnal. That's, that is an yeah, issue. That, that I mean, it's kind of like picking like which like awful thing you prefer. Like, like what's the best STD? <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, they all suck, but I guess we could like pick one. Syphilis, for sure. I've thought <laughs> <about> it. <laughs> it's very clear. It's, I've got, it's, there's an obvious choice. <laughs> um, but no, that's, I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting thought experiment. I, I mean, I never thought I would even entertain the idea that someone could enter Hugh Jackson territory. But also, like, the players played hard for Hugh Jackson which is something we talked about last week. And like, it seems like they're not, but I wonder they're, one of the things, how that much of me... it is Hugh versus like the, the player's career stage though. It's like, we were loaded with rookies. We still are like the third or fourth are. youngest team. It's true. We're still super young, but like how many times whenever Hugh Jackson was the coach, did you see wide receivers not know where they were supposed to be lined up? Probably less than happened this Sunday against the Ravens where Baker's telling people where they need to stand. I mean, you just, yeah. you cannot win football I mean, games that way, no matter how much talent you have I mean, in I the think, NFL. I think our offense is fatally flawed. Like, and, and if we're, we'll probably get to this, but if Hugh Jackson's going to be our head coach next year, I think the whole offensive <laughs> Hugh staff, Hugh Jackson or Freddie Kitchens. I doubt if we did just bring it back, <laughs> bring it back, get the gang back together. <laughs> That would be incredible. Greg Williams comes back. Uh, if Hugh Freddie's the running backs coach. coach. Stump Mitchell's out of here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Freddie. I hadn't really contemplated that because it's so unlikely, but that would be would be something. If you were trying to like get eyeballs on Oh gosh. On I a would. website, that would be the the play. Do you think that he that um Hugh Jackson would still be doing cameo if he was the Browns head coach. Oh, I hope so. Oh, I hope geez. so so much. Okay, can we so get a promo? Amazing. Can we get a promo for the pod from Hugh? <laughs> we can through cameo. Like, what do we got to pay for that? How much? Fifty bucks. 50 bucks. How 50? much do we have in the pod account? Well, we we'll, got... we'll review. I just it had to. I just had to reinforce the pod account for my personal account. <laughs> When our athletic subscription renewed, we went oh, into the negatives, man. and I had to reinforce it a little bit. Damn you, Dane. Um, no, but if, if Freddie Kitchens is going to be our, our coach next year. We need a pod Venmo account. and We, can we just, do. We can just do it mutually, collectively. Um, if Freddie's going to be our coach next year, I think like, a good chunk of the offensive staff needs to change. I think we need a new offensive coordinator. I don't think it's working with Monken, and I don't know that it's Monken's fault. Right. No. But I, I just don't think it's working. I think we need a new quarterbacks coach. Imagine being in Monk's position, though. Like, what can you do? Right? Yeah, like, and, and, I, and I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the division of labor is. I don't know whose who's fault it is, but it's, it's clearly not working. The number one skill set you have to have if you're in Monk's position is be convincing. Yeah. Like, you, that's like the only thing you can do is convince Freddie that this is what needs to happen. If Freddie doesn't believe it, like... I think, I think you've got Stump Mitchell, who there's no, re- no reason to, to move on from him. I mean, Nick Chubb's about to set the NFL rushing record. I think that also probably means that Campen gets to stay, even though our tackles have been, have been less than ideal. But there, there have been moments. I don't have anything against line. Campen with how um, terrible this offensive line is. Adam Henry. I mean, he's got the relationship with OBJ and Jarvis. I don't think you're allowed to move on from Adam Henry. I'd, it'd be a, a tough thing to do. But there are also, like, Rashard Higgins, ha, like that's not Adam Henry's fault. What, right? But maybe Whose maybe fault it is. is that. Whose fault is that? That's the maybe question. it is. Maybe it's maybe it's coaching staff related. I don't know. And maybe it's maybe it's Kitchens. I, yeah, I don't know. But there's there's a I've scenario where it might be John be. Dorsey. That like John Dorsey is getting involved in the like who's active and who's inactive on a game to game basis, and that's why there's just it's inexplicable why David and Joku doesn't isn't playing one week. Rashard Higgins isn't. It makes no sense. And Rashard Higgins isn't playing another week. Like I, I I literally couldn't tell you what it is, but it doesn't make any sense. I think we should do this next 
week's episode because we are not prepared with the research. But like to do like a little history of like where our team's roster was at the beginning of the season and where a lot of our hope was based on versus all of the incremental like changes and deletions and like inactives yeah, that we're have occurred on to, like, 25% that have that. that have occurred throughout the season to like this like tiny morsel that we have left like it's astounding and from where we sit it's almost impossible to know who's at fault for that situation but it's really bad when you look at the Jannard Averys and the wide receiver depth between the Higgins and the Callaway and David Njoku being hurt, which like you can't help him being hurt, but like how are you not even giving the guy reps? Like it, if you think that he, I just don't understand. Well, it's a, it's a, so it's a really interesting question that we talked about at the beginning of the season on the podcast where you mentioned Freddie Kitchen's philosophy of I want them practicing and I want them practicing hard at the beginning of the season. And you said something along the lines of it'd be interesting to see how that plays out throughout the season if we have a bunch of injuries. Yeah. And in contrast, in this Hugh Jackson, Freddie Kitchen debate, Hugh Jackson during preseason, we saw it in depth on Hard Knocks about Hugh Jackson saying, hey, I want to hold all of these players out throughout the preseason. I don't want them playing in practice. I don't want them. They're at risk for injury and we need to have them and we need to limit their reps and stuff like that. Freddie went the opposite of that, and we've been decimated by injuries, but also this other strange question of players being inactive whenever they're healthy that have been successful for us. So I think that that's, I don't know what the answer is to that. I don't know if it's how we planned and prepared throughout the season. If it is, then that's all on Freddie. It's just disappointing. I mean, the there's so many questions and it's so hard to know who's responsible. Is it Freddie? Is it John Dorsey pulling some strings behind the scenes? Like, and if so, why? Like a lot of these things don't make sense. Like particularly only David Njoku inactive and the Richard Higgins inactive. Like we saw so often how reliable Richard Higgins was. And when he's even played, what was the game when he caught the game winning touchdown was against the bills was against the bills, right? When he caught the game-winning touchdown, when he absolutely like juked out the corner for the right. game-winning catch, like it was the rare opportunity he actually had to play, and he won the game for us. And he's pretty much not been heard of since then. And like, if you're gonna keep him inactive, why can't you just tell us what's going on? Like, there's something else happening, and we, the public, don't know. I, it doesn't make any sense. It makes it feel like the locker room is not maintained. So it looks like Freddie Kitchens, but I hear people whispering that it could be John Dorsey, and the whole thing just doesn't make any sense. Like We have talent that's not being utilized, and it doesn't make sense. Well, and it especially doesn't make sense because we, this front office and this coaching staff had experience with Richard Higgins and made the decision to bring him back. I mean, it's not like... I mean, also, why is Taewon Taylor still on the roster? Has he been active for a single game this season? We traded for him. Well, he's been active for a handful of games, but not in a while. Has he seen the field? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's played very special, infrequently. He's played special teams, and he, when he, early in the season, he played on offense. But no. But it's like. When Callaway was, when Callaway was out on suspension, he played. But like. There's a name that much just, rather just see. a roster spot that's not being effectively utilized. And by the way, we traded a draft pick. We did. And I think sometimes you have to do that. You have to trade back end talent for someone right now to take a risk on, but if we were wrong. I don't know why we're holding on to him. All right, let's talk about Freddie Kitchens. What? Because I didn't have anything against the Freddie Kitchens hire at the time. I didn't. I thought it was a fairly rational move, and there was a variety of reasons for selecting Freddie Kitchens in the offseason. But I think it might be a valuable exercise to go back and look at those reasons and see how they have played out to determine whether it's worthwhile to keep Freddie Kitchens. And so if you were asking someone why Freddie Kitchens before the 2019 Cleveland Browns season, what are some of the reasons why you would have selected Freddie Kitchens? Matthew, what would be the top reason on your list? 
I mean, the, the top reason would be the performance of the offense down the stretch. Like the continuity season. of the offense. Yep. Right? You, you, you're not, you don't want to keep introducing new offenses. You've got a young quarterback. You've got young offensive talent. Keep, keep continuity. Keep what's working in-house and build on top of that. Number one on my list. Absolutely. I agree. And that's what all, we all thought we were signing up for. Okay, we're going to have a good offense. Let's hope the defense can be good enough. But guess what? The offense has sucked balls. The offense has been way worse than it showed down the stretch. Freddie hasn't shown the ability to manage the offense and all the rest of the responsibilities as a head coach. I mean, and, I mean the flip side to that like, plus is that the, the downside is that Freddie had not been an offensive coordinator until we made him one in the interim. Mm-hmm. And so there was that inherent risk. You're, oh, right. you're, you're yeah. trying to keep For that sure. offensive continuity together, but it was not a sure thing. To answer your question, Michael, I think the main reason why we hire Freddie Kitchens, I, I do think it was the offensive performance down the stretch, but I think that the main reason is we're looking long-term. We want to have a coach who's here for a long time. And a big part of the offensive performance is Baker's performance. And you want to have a quarterback and a head coach that are together for a very long time. Baker loved Freddie. Baker played super well. He was our first overall draft yep. pick. We want them to be together for a really long time. We think that Freddie's the guy that's making that happen. And, and there was a connection, clearly. Like, they were getting along. You saw all these, like, sideline antics. They're clearly, like, yes, got this jive going on last year. Which I think is a Let's very... Let's keep that moving forward. Which I think is no a very legitimate reason. Yep. And what have we seen this year? Neither of those two things at all. I know. But... There's so much so much extra there's so much more like time could be the antidote to that right like it could be that freddie is exactly what everyone said at the beginning of the season he's going to be overwhelmed being a head coach he very well could be an off season another off season after seeing what has happened and being prepared could be that we could see everything that we were hoping would happen next year right isn't that if we fire freddie right now there's a chance unlikely is it Maybe or may not be. I don't know what it yep. would take, but there's a chance that all of those things could come to fruition. I'm not seeing them right now, but I know where you're going. And to provide a counter argument to it, there is a chance that for those reasons, Freddie is still the guy to be the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. I don't entirely disagree with you. And if I was, okay, to stay on my train of looking back at what the op- reasons why we would hire Freddie, is another, aside from Baker, like you just mentioned, Mark, and the offense continuing on its trajectory that we saw at the second half of the season with Freddie at the helm. I think the other main argument was there's not really many like better options that were out there. Like we interviewed, you pulled the list up. I mean, Kevin Stefanski was the other like kind the of finalist, finalist that it's felt like it was either Freddie or Stefanski. But, you know, we interviewed a handful of other guys, including Matt Eberfluss, Fluss, Fluss, the guy from that's down in um, Brian Flores, the one that's down in Miami now. But there's a handful of we guys. We interviewed Jim Caldwell. Um, but there wasn't an overwhelming candidate. And having the guy that was the that felt like the known quantity, at least from like a personality perspective and how he would interact in the locker room. Seemed like a rational choice. We interviewed Greg Williams. Yeah. Passed on that. And now as you look objectively at this offseason, I don't know if you can straight be straight-faced and say that there's no better options than Freddie Kitchens. And it makes it a hard argument because I know for a fact that the Haslam family does not want to move on from someone quickly. Like, it's like an ego thing for Again. them. It's an ego thing for them because they know that this team is and this franchise is tainted with that reputation of quickly moving on, and it reflects directly on them. They don't want to do that again. But can you risk a team with this much talent in this, like, limited window 
of just the chance that Freddie Kitchens is going to like figure it out and just needs more time and needs another offseason? No. Like, can I, you risk that? No, I don't think you can. I really don't think you can. And I was providing a counter argument, but I think that we need to get a new head coach in right now because we have such a limited window. Right? Like next year, the year after, like. You've got three years. We right? just wasted one. Two more. That, well, no, I think you've got three more years. You've got the final two years of Baker's rookie deal plus the, plus the fifth year option, which the fifth year option is not nearly as cheap as the other ones, but it's still way below. He's going to be, re- I mean, hopefully, value. if he plays well in next season, he's going to be re signed by them. Yeah, but it, but it typically, how those deals are structured is it's, it's an extension on to whatever. So. So you, you get a lot of cash up front. It does chew up a lot of salary cap whenever you sign them. Sure. So even so, maybe two years. Yeah. Now's the time. Right. Almost half. Like, I just don't think it's a situation where you can roll the dice on a hoping that Freddie Kitchens figures it out. I and, mean, but and, inherently you are rolling the dice on someone else. Sure. You are always. And, and when we talk about this, I mean, the perspective I'm coming from is, I don't think Freddie Kitchens deserves to lose his job because of his performance as the head coach so much as he deserves to lose his job due to his performance as the offensive the play, play caller and the offensive coordinator yeah. here. I know, I know that Todd Monken has the role of offensive coordinator, but this is Freddie Kitchens show and the offense has, has not performed and Baker Mayfield has not, look comfortable has not developed we have weapons that are not being utilized effectively like that is more damning and that is a bigger indictment on his capability going forward to me than his inability to challenge things appropriately or manage the clock or like those things are or his no i press conferences like or his control of the locker room like whatever. Like I'm way more concerned about the on-field performance of our offense. Offensive unit that Absolutely. he oversees than anything else that he could possibly be knocked for. No. Absolutely. Okay. So, if we do that, if we make that move, we fire Freddie Kitchen. We're saying that that we're not in the same position that we were when we had no one else to hire. Who were who are the candidates that we do have on the docket this year? If we decide to move on, who would be your guy? If you could pick one person to be the head coach of Cleveland Browns next year, who is it? I don't freaking know. Is is really my answer? I mean, uh, we can put together a short list of the 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 top candidates. I mean, Mike McCarthy is going to be up there. I, I think the question is like, which of these guys? Would you not take over Freddie Kitchens? Okay, let's let's list out, let's list out the guys. Because right, like got, Mike McCarthy or Freddie Kitchens, Mike McCarthy for sure. But we got Mike McCarthy, Ron. But Rivera. Matthew, what's your what's your take on that? Last season, I would say Freddie, but now that we've seen a year of Freddie, like McCarthy seems a lot safer. I kind of agree. Even if even if there's not like a super high ceiling on a on a Mike McCarthy. All right, Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera. I would take Riverboat. Riverboat Ron running the whole organization. I mean, my, I, I my have no big idea question, what the offensive staff big, is That's there, my but. big question with Ron Rivera. But, like, I know that guy's going to run a good ship, and I, I like Ron Rivera People a lot. People love him. I like Ron Rivera a lot. I liked Ron Rivera before I watched it, but then I watched the Amazon series, whatever, the following the NFL team all year. Just, like... The HBO one is yeah. What, yeah. What's it called? Why can't I remember the name of the Amazon one? Oh, but wow. last season um, was the Panthers, and I'm a huge Ron Rivera fan. Like that dude, like has understands what's going on with every single player in his locker room, and just does a great job of relating and like being the clear leader of that team, and seems to cl- just have his handle on what's going on. I I would be very thrilled with Ron Rivera um, as a clear departure from Freddie Kitchen. So other names that are Kevin being thrown Stefanski. out there. Kevin Stefanski was the finalist last year. 
Here's the thing. Kevin, I don't know. I don't know anything about Stefanski. I mean, he's the offensive coordinator for the Vikings right now, who they've been good. They've run the ball really well. Their offense has been... Well, well, I mean, and, and, Kirk Cousins, and Kirk Cousins is having a career year. I mean, it's their offense is crushing it. It's crushing it. Um, Here's my thing with Stefanski is uh, D. Podesta recommended that we hire Stefanski. D. Podesta also recommended that we hire Sean McDermott instead of Hugh Jackson. Look at how that has worked out. Like, let's just listen to the guy and just do what he does this, what he wants this time. Just this one time. Is it Stefanski or is it, is there well, I don't somebody know who, new? I don't know who D. Podesta wants this time. I, I don't know who it is, but those past two have proven. I'm on board with anything Paul D. Podesta wants to recommend. No problem with that. I'd, ra- I'd be fine with Paul D. Podesta being our GM. Oh, no. We'd go back to it. Wouldn't that be so interesting? No, I'm like legitimately concerned about John Dorsey being the long-term GM and like contracts getting out of whack and things not being focused on for long-term sustainability. What what has happened there? Cuz I mean I feel like I feel like the tides have turned against Dorsey and it's happened quick. I think it's because no one's seen John Dorsey in a long time. But I mean that's that's very normal. I, I I don't disagree. I, I saw people criticizing him on Twitter for that. Where it's like, where's John Dorsey when all this is going down? It's like, no, actually, most teams like the GM doesn't talk during the year. Yeah, and like the teams that you're seeing are the ones that have like the the crazy owner GM, like Jerry Jones, or that they're like in the midst of firing their coach. Well, I, because and, the teams doing and support. I think it's legitimate when John Dorsey's like just moving on from guys that seemed like they were going to be long-term contributors to the team. Like guys like Jannard Avery. Like if you told me before this season that John Dorsey was just going to move on from Jannard Avery like halfway through the year, so, so like that would piss me off. That's fresh. It's frustrating, but we upgraded the draft pick and then Avery goes to Philly and hasn't really played. Right. That's hasn't true. made an impact. So, like, maybe there's something there. And the fact is, like, in-season moves, like, you're not going to get a press conference out of, out of the decision-maker to, to explain what's going on every week. So, I, I have concerns about John Dorsey from a long-term perspective when we get to salary cap management, whatever. I'm hoping that there's people within the organization who he listens uh, Paul to. Paul DePodesta and and others who maybe have a different perspective on on this. But oh, I'm sure that John Dorsey and Paul DePodesta have a different perspective. Yes. But I just think it's interesting how how it's how it's shifted so so dramatically. Yes. I mean, coming in uh, ahead of this draft, right? Right before the OBJ trade and even after the OBJ trade, like John Dorsey could do no wrong. And now there's a, at least a sizable um, group of Browns fans who I think would be okay with moving on from him. Yeah. Or at least celebrate it. I celebrate it, do you think? I think so. I think, I think things are turning against him. And, and I don't know. I'm not saying that's fair, and I don't, I don't really know that it is. I think they're I on the fence with John fair. Dorsey. I think he's just moved out of his, like, hun- the like, honeymoon phase. Yeah, like, out of a tier down i uh other right, stefanski i want to go back to stefanski i will you switch stefanski for Ke- freddie kitchens right now i it is hard to make these like clear one for ones like when it's a uh an established head coach like a mccarthy or rivera it feels like a lot easier to say like yes or no because you kind of have like a breadth of work the window is so much narrower and when it and when it's a guy that hasn't actually shown anything as a head coach there's just so many more questions it's so hard for me to say i probably would like lean yes towards stefanski but it's like assuming that i feel good about the rest of the staff that shows up and that he gets a really good defensive coordinator to like run the show. And like, all, there's just, it feels like there's a lot of variables with that. And so I'm really hesitant to say yes. But um, I think the logical move is to move on from Freddie Kitchens. And so I think that's why 
I'm okay with Stefanski because there's nothing I've seen against Stefanski that would cause me any hesitation. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're they're coming into last season. They were largely similar candidates in their in their ceilings and floors, and I think now we've got a year of Freddie Kitchens, and he's he's performed below the 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 mean of of what he could be as a head coach, and so that type of underperformance makes me think let's give the other guy a shot likely won't be worse right all right let's go to the college coaches that are being talked about as candidates for nfl jobs one that popped up right on sunday and has had lots of talk amongst browns fans is urban meyer no thanks you would say no. You'd rather Freddie Kitchens than Urban Meyer? Like, legitimately. <laughs> oh. Urban Meyer shows up and says, I would like to be the head coach of the Browns. You're picking Freddie Kitchens over Urban Meyer. There's no chance. No, I'm not. I'm not, but Urban Meyer you versus... You said no, no thanks. Yeah, I forgot we were playing the direct Freddie Kitchens comparison <laughs> game. Urban Meyer against some of these other, like, NFL coaches. I think I would say no thanks. Why? I okay, feel, so like I you'd rather like have Urban, Mike McCarthy Urban than Urban thing, Meyer? I feel like Urban Meyer's thing has, 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 has gotten a little stale. What do you mean? What thing? Define that. His, his innovation, right? And so he, he brought the spread offense, like mainstream, to, to college football. Um, we, we saw it go stale in, in Florida when, when he didn't have the horses to run it. Necessarily. It didn't go stale at Ohio State. Like I don't think that's like I don't think he's hung his hat no. just on offensive innovation. Matthew, he has health concerns and he wants to spend time with his family. Yes, but but I'm also concerned that like in a same way with Chip Kelly coming coming to to the NFL, where if when the talent becomes equal and you're not able to like the bells and whistles don't work. Y- yeah. You, you can't do the same things that you did when you don't have um, competitive advantages at different positions. And Chip Kelly was able to do it a little different because he was able to kind of find market inefficiencies and in these like really fast guys in the Pac-12, whatever. Urban Meyer just did it by having better players. You think he's and, a recruiter using them only? Well. He's a good freaking recruiter. He's and a good that recruiter. Changes, I think he's a changes motivator. the whole dynamic. I think he's a motivator of people. And I think he is relentless in coaching every detail and being really, really thorough in everything that they do. And that is something that I think is like really lacking on this Browns team. So from like a coaching stand, and I, but I think coaching college kids versus coaching at the NFL is a different deal when it comes to that sort of thing. And so I don't know how well that translates. But from an overall, like, just pure coaching standpoint, it'd be real hard for me to put a vote in for Freddie Kitchens over Urban Meyer. I think I might like Urban Meyer over Mike McCarthy. Maybe not Ron Rivera, but Mike McCarthy. I think Urban Meyer is a pretty smart dude. I, he's right up there. Would you rather, okay, so now the final coach, I think, that is, like, a reasonable option to consider. I don't know that I don't think he's going to move from college, but Lincoln Riley. Uh, I hoped you were going with Matt Rule. Oh, I do like Matt Rule. I do like Matt Rule. He's what he's done at Baylor has been impressive. Yeah, I don't know how that translates. I don't know anything about it. Everybody in the NFL seems to really be high on Matt Rule. Yeah, but we've seen these guys before, right? Like like Pat Fitzgerald a couple years ago, or um, who's the who's but no the guy one... who's been at Iowa forever. Who Kirk Ferentz and yeah Kirk Ferentz and then Matt Campbell at Ohio, at Iowa State, but none of them have actually none made of them the have actually the made NFL. the move. They've never gotten the opportunity. So I, I, like part of me wonders if Matt Rule is just like the the name that's getting getting hype, but is never going to get an opportunity. But Lincoln Riley, I mean, I would jump the, at the chance for Lincoln Riley to be like the Browns head coach. So. Lincoln th- Riley is like Cliff Kingsbury plus plus plus. So he's he's probably a better Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury has admittedly done much better than I expected this season. 
So that's a credit to him, and it's a a, a check for for Lincoln Riley. What helps Lincoln Riley, I think, is the three quarterbacks that he's done it with the last three seasons, like different skill sets for all three. And he, he, he finds a way and he coaches it up and he makes it work and he's competitive at the highest level. And you already know that he's got the connection with the quarterback. Like how big of a thing is that? Like, that's exactly what you were talking about earlier, Mark is like, you want the coach and the quarterback to be paired together on the same page, working together, like driving your success going forward. The other pieces in the chairs can move. But if you've got your coach and your quarterback working well together, like you're in good shape. Um, and I think you'd feel pretty strongly about that if Lincoln Riley was the coach. Um, I mean, I, I think there's also a pretty low floor. Where, with the Browns right now? Well, with Lincoln Riley in, in particular. Is it lower than Freddie's doing right now? Potentially. Potentially lower. But... I mean, I think Freddie could go lower, too. I mean, I can't remember the last time I felt less confident in the Browns' offense. Which which past Browns head coaches would you bring back? Chudzinski. Oh, I love Gerard Chudzinski. So we'd hire Chud. I would bring Romeo Cornell back so fast. Petten, too. I would bring Petten back. We would hire Petten back. Oh, absolutely. No, Mangini. Petten and Chudzinski are at the top of my list of guys that got short shortchanged as Brown's head coach. What about Mangini? I listened to Joe Thomas talk about Mangini on oh, it was great. on Rosillo's pod. It was great. It was really the good. Dude sounded like the worst like person to play for. Joe basically flat out said, I hated the guy when he was the head coach. Yeah. I hated the guy. Joe Thomas is like the most like positive, optimistic person in the world. He was defending Hugh Jackson until the until it was over. Oh man, Shermer. No, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep Kitchens over Shermer. Yeah, for real. That's, no, I think that's, that's fair. To Freddie that's Kitchens' credit, that's the Pat one. Shermer's, Pat Shermer's the worst coach in the Browns' modern history, and he's proved it now with the Giants. I mean, he doesn't exactly have a, a great hand to work with there, but he has not exactly draped himself in glory. It's ugly. All right, well. Well, it seems pretty clear that um, most rational options are against Freddie Kitchen. Unfortunately, like, I really didn't expect to be sitting here at the end of the season. Like, I didn't think there was... I, I would have probably, at the beginning of the season, what chance would you have put on Freddie Kitchens not making it to year two? It would have been like 10% for me. No higher than 20. I mean, like, it's just... Uh, but I, I also would have felt like it was so unlikely that we put together a season worse than the year before. I know. It, oh, my God. No, it's crazy. I, what I didn't think most of all was that I would want to fire Freddie Kid. Not just that the team might, but like I wanted continuity right. more than anything over the last 10 years. I feel like that's what we've needed. But I feel like this is a different situation. We need to hit this window. Should have just stuck it out with Mike Pettin. Honestly. Should have stuck it out with Mike Pettin. Like, we'd probably be in a pretty good spot if we had just, like, rolled with Mike Pettin this whole time. Yes. I agree. All right, let's talk about something positive. Could have, should have, would have. Let's talk about something positive. I want to talk about your boy and mine, Nick Chubb. Hey. About to get... An NFL rushing title. He is 92 yards ahead of Christian McCaffrey. He has 1,453 yards. Christian McCaffrey has 1,361. He's going to get it. We're going to have an NFL rushing title winner. Unless something ludicrous happens. Like, he definitely should have it. Absolutely should. I mean, we would probably win the game against the Bengals if every offensive play we just gave it to Nick Chubb. So, like, why don't we just do that? I mean, I think we, we need to focus on that. There's, there's, there's nothing else nothing, to play for. Nothing else to play for. Yeah. We, we might as well like, make sure Nick gets it. Make this season have some sort of like lasting, lasting legacy. He'll be the first running back since Leroy Kelly, I think, for the Browns to, to win the rushing title. 
Um, other running backs for the Browns who have done it are Jim Brown and then Marion Motley. That is a heck of a, a, a group to be considered with. Uh, I think Nick Chubb has a chance to have the second best rushing season in Cleveland Browns history. How many yards does he need to get there? I think he needs upper 1500s. So he would have to put together like a 130 yard game. Um, he's, he's put, he's done that so far this season. Granted, Jim Brown was playing 12 and 14 game seasons. So this is obviously a, a, a full 16 game season, but, but just to be in the same conversation is a great thing. Absolutely. And Jim Brown did say when we drafted Nick Chubb that he liked, he did not say that he liked Trent Richardson. So Jim Brown's got an eye. He's got a little eye for it. No, but we got nothing else to play for. That's all we have at this point, which is disappointing. I don't know how you have. Is Nick oh. Chubb the best player on our team? Miles mm. Garrett's the best player on our team. No. Yeah. I think Miles Garrett's the best player on our team. Miles Garrett would have set the, the single season sack record for the Browns this year, most uh, likely. Yeah. I think Miles Garrett's the best player on our team. I still think OBJ's second. I think he's. OBJ. I think he's. I think he's playing unhealthy this year, and I think he's playing in this offense that has not looked good and has not been a, a good situation for him. What percentage of OBJ's ineffectiveness would you put on his sports hernia situation versus offensive just ineptitude? Shared fifty-fifty. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say too. It's 50-50, and both of those things compile to a terrible three-touchdown performance on the year because both of those things are so bad. I think he's very unhealthy, and I think our offense is so and bad. And to that- be fair, he's had a handful of drops, too. <laughs> like, he needs to take... He has, like, a 10%. It's, like, 45, 45, and 10. Like, 10% on OBJ because, like, there's a handful of big plays that have been there for the taking that are completely on him. Like, we saw a bad one last week against Arizona. Yep. And we've seen him at least five different times throughout the year, like on big plays that he hasn't been able to make. And this he, week, he, he, we were he'd so He'd already close. be over 1,100 yards on the season if he hadn't dropped balls in big situations. Yeah. And he's made a few like phenomenal catches, too, you know, that you don't even expect him to make. But he's missed some real simple ones that you would absolutely expect him to make, any top receiver in the NFL to make. And he's he's left those on the field. So like he is not without blame. There's no doubt about it. Um uh, just been been that year. Hopefully we're getting all the kinks out this year and can roll forward in the future with whoever's leading the charge. We will see. Nick Chubb though, top three player on the Browns, no doubt. I can no get, doubt. I can get behind that as well. No doubt. All right. Well, let's move on to the thing we like to do every single week, Michael. Yeah, it's a little boring this week. It's kind of like, you know, just kind of fizzling out. Matthew's clearly going to... accept all of your praise and yeah. adoration. It was, it was good. Matthew you know wants what? the glory. We're going to do this next week. I don't have it in front of me. But your winning percentage right now is 55%. I'm pretty sure I was right around that same mark last year. So we're going to compare your winning percentage towards mine from 2018 season. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was at like 40 yeah, last you were year. real bad last year. We should do the totals for the last three seasons. You're right. We should. We should look at all of them. I've got them all saved in my computer. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that would be very good content. I just, <laughs> I, uh, I just think for our listeners, they, just, they don't want to hear. It's going to be a great People exercise. People don't listen to this part anyway. For next week. All right, so we only have two games this week because the NFL um, likes to keep all those games all at the same time so that if, you know, playoff pictures are, it, you know, affected that no one takes games off and just completely loaf. So we don't have a Thursday night. We don't have a Saturday night game. We are playing. We have one national TV game, which is San Francisco at Seattle. The 49ers are favored by three points this week. Seattle's coming off of a pretty bad loss to the Cardinals. They are trying out running backs as we speak, um, bringing back the old the old crew. Um, I think Robert Turbin already got signed today, and um, I think that they are a that guy. Yeah, and I think that they are trying to hopefully get a past physical from uh, Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch, and so it could be a fun game to watch. It's just a for... brutal time of year to be trying to sign a running back. 
because you can't trade for anybody who's like all of the the decent backup options are are taken and there's just nobody on the free agent wire yeah so san francisco favored by three heading to seattle mark i'll let you pick first i tend to like the teams that just had a really bad loss um but I'm going to go with San Francisco winning by more than three. Um, as you alluded to, Seattle's running back situation is bad. And this I, this game means something, doesn't it? They're both sitting right there at the top of the the NFC. I I I think that San Francisco wins. Yeah. Matthew? I think a bigger loss than the running backs for Seattle is Dwayne Brown, their left tackle, is going to be out yeah. with a knee injury. Um, I'm going to go San Francisco. Yep. Um, I have to pick San Francisco as well. They're Seattle's been scrapping it all season and Russell Wilson has been pulling them through and I just don't see it happening against the San Francisco team that is showing different ways to win. They like came back from behind to beat the Rams this past week. Um, my only hesitation is it's in Seattle, but I'm still going to go with San Francisco. Final game of the year, boys. Browns playing the Bengals in Cincinnati. Browns are only favored by two and a half against the worst team in the NFL. That's what this season has come to. Are they going to cover? What do you see as the keys to this game? What are you expecting to see? Like, is this team going to show up and like trounce the Bengals? Is this team going to struggle to like keep their dignity and barely squeak by the Bengals? Like, what are. What are we in for on Sunday? I think this actually becomes a, a kind of high-scoring game. I think our defense probably has nothing to play for and doesn't show up. I think there's enough players on this team that give a crap about Nick Chubb because how can you not love the guy to show up and try to win this game and get that rushing title? Just lock it up. I mean, that means something for Nick Chubb. That means something for the offensive line. That means something for the entire offense to have something. Um, So I think we'll see an inspired offense in a way um, around that. But what's our defense? I don't know. I I think that there's no telling what happens in this game. Up until this point, the Browns have still technically had something to play for. And we have seen uninspired offensive play and defensive play throughout the entire season. If, if that is them, the Browns players, giving their all and trying their best, and it's just a disorganizational problem, we're just disorganized, then if we're not inspired to win this game, we have nothing to play for, I think it could be atrocious. I think that there's a chance that we mail it in and it is just a disappointing finale to a disappointing season. We finish six and ten. Ooh, that'd be rough. All right, the line's two and a half. What are you expecting to see, Mark? Are the, are the Browns going to cover? Well, I mean, we're just a far talented team. I, I, you have to pick the Browns to cover more than three points. Yes, but there's a chance that we don't. But I pick the Browns. Bengals have only once won once all season. They have nothing to play for either, um, other than pride, which it's is a divisional game stronger than the Browns. Um, I think I got to take the Browns. I've got Cleveland too. It's a real boring final week. Clean sweep of San Francisco and the Browns. (laughs) So we're staying where we're at. All right. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We appreciate you. Um, Thanks for gutting it out with us. Uh, This entire season, we'll be back next Monday to wrap up the season. Uh, If you like this podcast, please tell a friend. We'd really appreciate it. Rate it five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review. We'd really appreciate it. That goes a long way to having other people listen to all of this primo Browns content. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram at sin of our fathers, send us an email, sin of our fathers at gmail.com. If you got something we want to talk about it, we'd love to hear from you. We love interacting with y'all. And, uh, as they say, there's always next year. Go Browns. <laughs> Go Browns. <laughs> Thank you.